Open our Bibles to the book of Job, chapter number 1. Job, chapter number 1 this morning. And while you find your place there, let me just say thank you to all those that prayed for us and our our family. We can't have a vacation without a little bit of excitement. Amen. And so we were out running a hurricane part of the time, but God was so good and He just provided for us in ways we couldn't have even imagined and uh, did things for us uh, over the past couple of weeks that we could have could have never thought uh, that He would have done. And He's just so good. He just knows what we need. Amen. Here's somebody's glasses. If you can see these, they're probably not yours. But those belong to somebody in here. If you're missing them, come find them later. You might have to stumble around to get to them. Amen. But uh, what a blessing it is to be back in the house of the Lord today. Uh, let me say I've missed all of you all. And uh, I, I'm thankful to have a church family, amen, that I can come back to and worship the Lord uh, in the midst of. Aren't you glad to be here this morning? Y'all's a little quiet this morning. We're like two dogs just trying to figure each other out, aren't we? But uh, I, I guess the Lord will help us and we'll do a little preaching this morning. Job chapter number 1. And I'm going to do quite a bit of reading this morning, but we're going to use most, if not all, of it. And so I believe it would honor the Lord for us to uh, read the first chapter of the book of Job and then just a little bit of the second chapter. So we'll begin reading in uh, the book of Job, chapter number 1, verse number 1. The Word of God says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels, and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. His sons went and feasted in their houses every one his day and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them, rose up early in the morning, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. The Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. The Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. The Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power, Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. There came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God is fallen from heaven, and hath burned up the sheep and the servants, and consumed them, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another, and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands, and fell upon the camels, and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. And while he was yet speaking, there came also another, said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the earth. And it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Then Job arose, rent his mantle, and shaved his head, and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. And said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord, and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? 
There is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil, and still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. Put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. The Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. So Satan went forth, uh, so went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. And he took him a potsherd to scrape himself withal, and he sat down among the ashes. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. Let's pray together. Father, what a blessing it is to be in your house. Thank you for the safe traveling mercies uh, and the provision that me and my family have enjoyed, Lord, and also on behalf of those that have also been traveling. Lord, we're just thankful that you've brought us again into this place this morning. Lord, we've come today not just uh, to perform our duty, but Lord, we have come to meet with heaven. We've come to hear from you. Lord, we've come that eternity might reach out and grab our present and might change us, Lord, that you might be glorified, that we might be drawn closer unto thee and that we might be made more into the image of Christ. I pray that you bless the preaching now this morning. Uh, may it exalt the Lord Jesus. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I don't know if you can remember back this far, but a couple weeks ago, I preached on a Sunday morning, and uh, we preached about a statement that Satan made in the book of Genesis. You know, it is fascinating to me that Satan, who is the chief antagonist in the Word of God, Satan is not figurative, he is an individual. He is a personality, he is a person. And uh, Satan, who stands in opposition for all that God seeks to do, uh, in his creation, is the chief antagonist. And it's amazing to me that in 66 books of the Bible, in thousands of verses of the Word of God, in hundreds of interactions between God and His creation, it is interesting to me that there are only, as far as I can find, three occasions upon which Satan spoke at length. Now, one could maybe consider the statements that he made to God whenever he sought to dethrone the Lord and exalt himself, and certainly that would be worthy of our attention. But three times that Satan really speaks, and it's recorded in the Word of God. I do not believe that is by accident. I think that there is a great danger in fixating ourselves upon things like the study of demons and dark things, uh, that uh, undoubtedly are true and are real and are reality, but I think we ought to uh, put our mind and fix our mind upon pure things and whatsoever things are virtuous and of good report. But I cannot help but think if God chose three occasions when the devil spoke and He recorded it under inspiration of the Holy Ghost in the Word of God for preservation for you and I in this day that we might be able to read it and with confidence say Satan spoke these words there must be a reason for it. There must be something encapsulating about what Satan says concerning his perspective and worldview and his strategy in ensnaring mankind. Uh, when we consider these three occasions, we find some interesting notes about them. For instance, the first time that he spoke, he spoke to man in the garden in Genesis chapter number 3. And we preached about it a couple of weeks ago when he spoke to Eve. The second time here in our text this morning in the book of Job, he spoke to God. We actually don't have any record of him saying anything to Job. Rather, he is speaking to God about Job. The third time, and if it's the Lord's will, we may preach on this at some point, uh, he speaks in the book of Luke chapter 4 and also a parallel account in Matthew chapter 4. And he does not speak just to man and he does not speak just to God, but he speaks to the God-man. He speaks to the Son of God. God in the flesh. And he seeks to tempt the Lord Jesus. In these three moments, we find the things that he spoke about of entrance. For instance, the first time he speaks, he speaks at the moment of man's sin. And he speaks in order to deceive him. How many of you know that the devil has a will and it's the will of the devil that we live in sin and in disobedience 
unto God. Well, the first time that he spoke, he spoke to man and he sought to cause him to disobey God. The second time, and we'll preach about it this morning, he spoke at the moment of man's steadfastness. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you, there was a tendency in the reading of it to say he spoke at the moment of man's suffering. And it's interesting to note that when man was steadfast, it resulted in man suffering. And those things often go hand in hand. But it was not the suffering of Job that caused Satan to speak. It was not the suffering of Job that caused Satan to uh, show up in the presence of God and to begin to disparage him. For Job was not suffering when Satan began to speak. Rather, it was the steadfastness of Job that caused Satan to speak. Can I tell you something that makes the devil mad when we take a stand? He's got something to say about that. Listen, we can compromise all day long. We can live like the world. We can live like uh, the devil and live like uh, hell itself on earth and that won't bother him one bit. Uh, By the same token, listen, we can be lukewarm Christians uh, that just float somewhere in the middle of the pack and don't seek to be disruptive and don't seek to take a stand for anything and the devil's just fine with that. That don't bother him one bit. Hey, listen, the devil's not scared of mediocre Christians. But when we take a stand, uh, he takes a stand And he begins to speak. In fact, in the Old Testament, we're told that when David stood up, that the devil stood up in opposition to him. And I would just merely say to you that uh, when we take a stand, the devil's going to have something to say about it. And he does in Job's life. He spoke at the moment of man's steadfastness to disparage him. And then we'll see later on that he spoke at the moment of man's separation in order to distract him. But we find in each of these three occasions a pattern that emerges. Uh, It seems as though there are three things basically that the devil does when he speaks. Now, can I remind you of something? The Bible says in the book of John that the devil is the father of lies. He is the origin of lies. He is the origin of the notion of speaking contrary to what is true. He is the origin of the notion of speaking contrary to reality. He is the origin of the notion of withstanding the truth that God has spoken in this world and to His creation. He's the father of life. But he's smart. He knows uh, that it's far wiser for him to try to wrap his uh, truth, we might say this, to try to inject his lie with a grain of truth. The Bible tells us that when he comes, he comes as an angel of light. He doesn't come and kick in your front door. He comes and tries to sneak through the window. He does not come in bold opposition, but rather He comes to dissuade and tempt you and draw you away. And so in each of these instances, we find three things present. We talked a little bit about it last week or the week before, whenever it was I was here last. Somebody say amen to that. We find that He begins with a half-truth. In each of these statements, Satan says something that is true. One of the keys to effective lying is to begin with the truth. And it lulls people into believing that everything you're about to tell them is the truth. He begins with a half-truth. I would call this the truth in the lie. And every effective lie has a grain of truth in it. And then we see that there is a hidden truth. So if he's telling half the truth, where did the other half go? He won't tell you the other half of the truth. You listening to me this morning? He won't tell you the other half of the truth. He'll just tell you part of it. And so we'll look at the other half. We can call that the hidden truth. Or we might say that's the lie in the truth. The lie is not in what He tells you. I want you to hear me carefully. The lie is not in what He tells you. It's in what He won't tell you. You listening to me this morning? Come on, let's go ahead and get it all out. The lie is in what he won't tell. Can I tell you something? There's churches all day long. I'm talking about God not within a million miles of them and they will never speak a rank mistruth in the walls of those churches. But they'll also never take a stand on certain truths. The lie is not in the truth that is told. The lie is in the truth that is untold. And that's what happens here. There's a lot of places you could go. There's places I could go and I could agree with everything that a man says, but he's only told part of the truth. And we find ourselves miles apart. So there is a hidden truth. Or we might say the lie in the truth. And then in closing, we'll take a moment and consider the whole truth. Because listen, if it ain't the whole truth, and if it ain't nothing but the truth, you ain't got the truth. Somebody say amen there. That's the reason they make you swear to that when you're in a court of law. right? I'll I'll tell the truth. I'll tell the whole truth. I'll tell nothing but the truth. Uh, And the devil, he doesn't tell the whole truth. And he doesn't tell nothing but the truth. But before we're done this morning, we'll look at the whole truth. So we looked at that a couple weeks ago in the book of Genesis and what he said uh, to Eve. But here in the book of Job, 
we find basically three statements that Satan makes. All three of these are made to God. All three of them are made concerning Job's circumstances to some degree or another. The first is found in Job chapter 1 and verse number 7. The Lord looks at Satan and He asks him this question. He says, Whence comest thou? The Bible says then, Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. In Job chapter 2 and verse 2, you have a mirror, a, a, a repeat of that exact conversation. In Job chapter 1 and verse number 9, the Bible says that Satan answered the Lord and said to him, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. And then in Job chapter 2 and verse number 4, the devil makes a mysterious statement that I believe we might be able to unriddle some this morning. The Bible says Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. Can I say to you this morning that basically I agree with all three of those statements. What Satan says in those three comments, I fundamentally agree with. And can I tell you why? Because he's basically telling the truth. Let's consider first off this morning the truths that he confessed. And the first is a statement that I think very often people do not understand. When the Lord looks at Satan in uh, chapter 1 verse 7 and he says, Whence cometh thou? Have you ever thought about that question? How many of you know this to be true, that God only asks rhetorical questions? He's an omniscient being. He doesn't ask because He needs to know. He asks because He wants you to confess or He wants you to acknowledge or He wants you to admit. So God is not asking Job, what has your calendar looked like? He's not asking Job, let me let me see where your GPS has taken you. But what He's saying is unto Satan, He's looking at him and saying, what have you been up to in the world at large? To that, Satan replies this way, He says to the Lord, I have been going to and fro in the earth and I have been walking up and down in it. Now can I can I just posit to you this morning, there must be something more than just a basic surface understanding that phrase. He says, I've been walking around in it. Well, that didn't tell God anything. God already knew that. And can I say this, that if I was to look at you and say, where have you been today? And you said, earth, I'd call you a smart aleck. I don't think he's merely saying, well, I've been walking around. Here is what the phrase seems to imply. He's saying, I've been going anywhere I want. And I've been doing exactly as I please. We find in this first phrase the boasting of his dominion. God looks at Satan and says, Satan, what have you been up to? And the devil says, anything that I want, God. Because this is my world. This is my realm. Can I tell you this? I sort of agree with him about that. I turn on the television and I I, I, I drive up and down the roads and I, I see the chaos and the brokenness and the heartache and the sorrow. Listen, we've been in like three states over the past couple of weeks. We drove everywhere. We drove through good parts of towns and bad parts of towns and parts of towns that wasn't parts of towns. But we've been through everywhere you could imagine. We've pulled into gas stations and seen broken faces and broken lives and people who the toll of sin is evident upon their body and their visage. And you walk around this weary and broken world and you cannot help but see that Satan is having his way. Turn on the television, my friend. Any channel, any time of the day, and you'll see that the devil's having his way in this world. That should not be a surprise. The Bible calls him the God of this world. This is his dominion. Now, I'd remind you that this world rests inside of creation and rests inside of the universe, and our God is the God of the universe. But I'm just merely saying the immediate jurisdiction of the devil is this world, and we cannot help but look around and see that he seems to be having a field day in the world that's around us. We need to keep this in mind lest we begin to think that God's fell off of His throne or that God has messed up or that God has somehow become absent. In this world, that's not the case. God told us that this world would be under the power of the devil during this age and during this time. i got news for you. There's another king coming. Praise the Lord. There's coming a day another, another king will rule, another authority will reign. But for now, we live in a broken world. And the devil's doing exactly what he was in Job's day. He's going anywhere he wants. He's doing as he pleases. So the first phrase relates to the boasting of his dominion. And then the second phrase is interesting. I don't want to preach my message before I preach my message. But God replies to 
that Satan and says, hast thou considered my servant Job? Uh, he's living for me and he's righteous and he's perfect and he's upright. And the devil responds in this way. In Job chapter 1 verse 9, the Bible says, Then Satan answered the Lord and said this. He asks a question. He says, Doth Job fear God for naught? Now this, of course, is also a rhetorical question. Satan uh, knows the answer. And the answer is, of course, no. Job is not serving God for nothing. It's paying Job to serve God. He goes on to describe how Job is reaping the benefits of serving God. He says in verse 10, Hast not thou made heads about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. The Lord looks at the devil and says, you've been walking around doing anything you want, but what about my servant Job? He's living for me. And the devil looks at God and says, well, why wouldn't you? Have you seen the way he's living? His cattle are the fattest. His land is the greenest. His water is the cleanest. He has everything that human heart could wish. He has all that a man could ask for. God, the only reason Job serves you is because you've blessed him. But if you remove that blessing, he'll curse you to his face. Now, what's the basic premise of what he's saying? He's saying this, it pays to serve God. Can I tell you this morning? I agree with the devil. It pays to serve God. Listen, you serve God, you live your life in obedience unto Him, you try to fashion your life according to the tenets of His work, I promise you, you will be far better off than if you live according to your own wisdom. The Bible says we're not to lean unto our own understanding. We're not to lean unto our own wisdom, but that we're to in all our ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct our paths. The Bible says that the Lord favors the good and the righteous. He blesses them. He increases what they have. And I'm telling you this morning, there's no quicker way to a blessed life than to surrender yourself to God and let God have His will and His way with you. I've said this before. I've said it to young people, uh, especially when I look at my life and where I'm at in my life. And uh, listen, I mean, I'm not, you ain't going to see me on the cover of Forbes magazine. Uh, you ain't going to see me on the cover of Men's Health. Somebody say amen to that. I, listen, I, but I would simply say this. If I, tried to, if, I, if I tried to draw a straight line between where I was as a 10-year-old boy when I gave my life to Christ and where I am now, and if I tried to work hard as I could to get here without God, I could have never done it. He has, he has brought me to places. He has blessed me in ways. He has provided for me in ways. He has taken care of me in ways that I could have never done for myself. And I've told young people time and again, listen, it pays to serve God. Uh, we tell our kids all the time going up and down the road, we couldn't do what we do without God. The things, the car we drive is there because God give it to us. The food in our, in our refrigerator is there because God give it to us. And listen, as a preacher, I may have a keen awareness of that. My needs are met by the goodness and the grace of God's people and of God through His people. But can I let you in on a little secret? The things you have, you wouldn't have without God either. You wouldn't have any of the things that you have. And God blesses those that obey Him. One of the great tenets of the Word of God is that obedience brings blessing. And disobedience brings chastening and sorrow and heartache. And so i got to say, I agree with the devil here. He looks at Job and he says, well, it's your paying Job to serve God. And it was paying Job to serve God. But with that, let me say, there is a disparaging comment because he implies that Job is merely a selfish, self-interested opportunist. So in this passage, we see that he, he talks about the blessing of heavenly distribution. If you serve God, God will bless you for it. We know how the story goes. We would have known it without the reading, but of course we've read it this morning and it's fresh on our minds how that everything that Job has is basically burned to ashes and is ripped away from him and how he falls down and worships God and trusts the Lord and he doesn't charge God foolishly and he doesn't sin with his lips. And We know how that Job stood even in the face of adversity. So the second time when Satan comes around in chapter number 2, conversation is similar in some ways, but there's some marked differences. He shows up, the Lord looks at Satan and says, Whence comest thou? What you been doing, Satan? Now the Lord knew, and Satan knew, but he wanted him to admit it. Satan says from going to and fro in the earth, from walking up and down in it, God, I'm still in charge of things. The Lord said, Hast thou considered my servant Job? I'm glad to know, listen, everybody's opinion of Job may have changed, but God's opinion didn't change. You listen to me this morning. When Job's friends show up, man, uh, 
Uh, they've got every reason in the world why Job's going through what he's going through. And it's because he had sin in his life. And it's because he was disobedient to God. And it's because he wasn't trusting God. Uh, it was even, but one of them said it was even because he didn't even know God. Uh, listen, sometimes trouble come to your life and mine. That'll change people's opinions about you. I'm glad God's opinion didn't change about Job. Uh, what he said about Job before, he said exactly about him again. He's a perfect and upright man. He escheweth evil. And then he says this, and still he retaineth his integrity. The devil replies to that in this way in verse number 4. He says, skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. Now what exactly is Satan saying here? He's saying that Job's life is vested in his skin, in his flesh, in his temporal existence. And that if you threaten that, he'll do anything it takes to stay alive. In other words, he's saying that a man may give up his wealth, he may give up his family, he may give up a number of things, but when it comes to his own health and well-being in life, he'll compromise in any way, he'll give up in any way, he'll change in any way, he'll give up all of his freedoms, he'll give up all of his liberties. You listen to me this morning? I'm doing a little preaching this morning. Are you hearing me? He'll give up, you threaten a man's health, you give him something to be scared of, he'll give up all of his freedoms, give up all of his liberties, give up all of his wealth, give up all of his future. He'll give up anything to avoid death. He speaks of the bargaining of human desperation. He says, when you go after a man's life, you've got him. i got to say, I look around at our world, I look around at our country, and I sort of agree with him. It seems to me like the quickest way to get a country to give up all of their freedoms and liberties is to scare them with bodily danger. It's happening all across our country. It's happening in cities that are burning. It's happening in, in health concerns and pandemics or whatever your opinion is about it. I, really, I could care less just like you don't care about my opinion about it. But I would say this to you this morning. Isn't it astonishing how quickly and radically our country has changed in light of that? I'm talking about people, we don't have funerals, we don't visit the elderly and infirmed in, in nursing homes, we're not with our loved ones when they die. I, I mean, all of the freedom, our economy has just been ravaged and businesses have been shut down. I was reading a statistic the other day that on Yelp, 55% uh, percent of the businesses that closed during the pandemic have permanently closed. They have no intention of opening back up. We have seen our country stripped bare. Why have we done that? And it's basically, fundamentally at its core, because all that a man hath will he give for his life. Essentially what Satan's saying is that's the key to control. You control a man's health and well-being. You control everything about him. Isn't it interesting that people that crave power want to control our health? Could it be that they know if you control a man's health, you control his life? This is an age-old thing. And i got to say, basically, I, I tend to agree with what he's saying. He's saying if you get a man that desperate, he'll give up anything. These are the three truths that he confessed. And at their core, I agree with him. I agree the devil seems to be in charge of this broken and burning world. I, I agree that serving God pays off and that God blesses those that serve Him. And I agree that a man will give just about anything to save his own life. But you know, there are some truths that he concealed as well. There are some things he confessed. I told you a moment ago, the lie is not in what is said, it's in what is not said. And you know, I find some very convenient things that Satan left out. When you consider this conversation with the Lord, there are some things that he just neglected to mention. For instance, the first statement when he walks up to God and God says, when's coming sound, he says, from walking to and fro in the earth, from going to and fro in the earth, from walking up and down there. The devil said, I got complete control of this down here. I'm running everything. Everybody's doing what I want. Everybody's living the way that I want. This is my world. This is my kingdom. This is my dominion. Now stop and think about what God says back to him. He did not say, Satan, your time is short. He could have said that. He did not say, Satan, the only authority you have, I permit you to have. He didn't say that. He didn't look at him and say, there's coming a day, Satan, that we're going to throw you in a bottomless pit. There's coming a day when we're going to toss you into a lake of fire and throw the key away. He could have said that, but that's not what God says. In the midst of all that, He said, you're running things, are you, Satan? You got control, do you? 
You run in everybody's life. Your authority's unchallenged, is it? Hast thou considered my servant Job? Here, <laughs> I just felt something on that. Here is what the devil neglected the future. He said, I got control of everybody. But he wasn't talking about Job. You know why? I see in this passage Job's defiant devotion. In a world that the devil was using as his personal sandbox, there was one man who would not be run by what the devil wanted him to do. <laughs> it's interesting. Somebody could maybe say, well, maybe he didn't know about Job. No, that ain't going to fly. You know why? Because the Lord looks at him and says, Has thou considered my servant Job? And he goes on and explains that he's a perfect and upright man. He feareth God. He escheweth evil. And the devil immediately flies back. Because you see, when a man is mad like that, he'll, he'll, he'll let on what he's really thinking. He flies back and he says, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not blessed the work of his hands? Hast thou not increased his substance in life? Sounds to me like the devil already knew about Job. Sounds to me like he'd been paying attention to what had been going on down at the house of Job. He knew about how much cattle Job had. He knew about how many servants Job had. Whenever he came to destroy him, he didn't leave none of them out. He caught every one of them because he knew how many he had. Sound to me like the devil had been paying real close attention to Job. Of course he had. Job was the most righteous man alive. Of course he had been watching Job. But he neglects to tell that in a world that he seems to be running rampant in, there are still some that are standing fast and living for God. He neglected Job's defiant devotion that Job was living for God in a godless world. And can I say this to you? And I, I'm going to go ahead and I'm just going to preach, alright? We might get ahead of our outline or behind our outline. We might throw it away. But can I go ahead and say to you this morning, uh, the world may be living like the devil wants them, but that don't mean you have to. That don't mean I have to. This thing of being a Bible Christian has always been a thing of stepping out of the majority and living comfortably in the majority that exists with God. It's always been this thing of stepping out of the majority and living in the spiritual minority of those that are consecrated and living for the Lord. Far too long we have believed that we have a right to the majority as Christians. But listen, our circumstances in this country have been an anomaly. It's been a, it's been a, it's been a strange thing. In most countries, Christians have always been in the minority. They've always been oppressed. They've always been persecuted. They've always been silenced. They've always uh, been maltreated. We're entering a time, I believe, in this country where we're going to have to be comfortable, comfortable being the one that's standing in a godless country. I see that he didn't say anything about Job's defiant devotion. And then I think about the second statement that the devil made. He says, Doth Job fear God for naught? And he begins to describe how good that God had been to him. Listen to what the devil himself says in his own word. He says, Hast thou not made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? He says, The only reason that Job serves you, God, is because you're good to him. If you weren't good to him, Job would not serve you. He says as much. He says, uh, put forth thine hand, touch all that he hath. He'll curse thee to thy face. But was that really true? Look at the next phrase Satan makes in Job chapter 1 verse 10. He says, thou hast blessed the work of his hands. And his substance, notice this next word, is increased in the land. I don't know how that sounds to you, but I'll tell you how it sounds to me. It sounds to me like Job probably didn't come from money. It sounds, you're with me this morning, y'all got all quiet. Like I just spoke a different language. It sounds to me, the thing that God blessed was the work of His hands. He wasn't born into money. He wasn't born into a grand vast estate of cattle and, and of livestock and of wealth. He had come by what He had come by through the work of His hands that God had blessed. The Bible says His substance was increased in the land. That tells me there was a time that Job wasn't as rich as he is today. And you know the thing the devil neglected to mention here? He talked about, he said, you know, the, Job only serves you, God, because you bless him. He, you only, he only serves you because he is wealthy and he is affluent. But he neglected to mention Job's diligent dedication. Job had served God when he didn't have nothing. 
Job had served God when it was only the work of his hands and the blessing of God that provided food for his family. Job had served God when his substance had not been increased in the land. And I'm saying this, Job didn't just wake up one day and say, boy, God's been good to me. I'm going to be a Christian. I'm going to be a Bible believer. I'm going to believe in the God of glory. He didn't just wake up one day and say, boy, God's been good to me. I guess I ought to repay Him and serve Him. No, Job had believed in God when it didn't seem to benefit him temporally. He had served God and lived for God when it didn't seem to fill his coffers when it didn't seem to fill his barns. He had served God when it wasn't easy. And so God had blessed him. Can I say this to you? Listen, uh, of course we ought to serve God uh, in, in light of His goodness and His grace to us. And serving God will bring blessing in your life. But the reason we serve God is not because of the blessing. It's because of the blesser. We don't serve God because of what He gives us. We serve God because of who He is. And I jotted it down this way in my notes. Blessing comes from service, but not service performed solely for blessing. Uh, this health and wealth and prosperity gospel that says uh, that the whole and sole reason that we serve God is so He'll give us a new car, or a new house, or a new set of clothes, or uh, a big old fat retirement account. There's not a shred of that in the Bible. I got news for you. You may die poorer than you are this day temporally speaking, but you live your life serving God, you'll step into the halls of glory richer than you could have ever imagined. I'm just saying this, we serve God not not because uh, He is worth, uh, listen, not because of what is worth to us, but because of what He's worth to us. Uh, we don't serve Him to get wealthy, we serve Him because He is worthy. And this was true in Job's life. Job had served God before it ever seemed to benefit him temporally. We find he'll serve God even after. And then think about the third statement that Satan makes. He says, skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. And that's basically true. It's basically true that a man would give anything for his life if his life is the greatest thing that he possesses. What happened in Job's circumstances? Well, the Bible tells us that, uh, of course, Job's children were taken from him. His uh, wealth was taken from him. And then the devil puts his hand forth against Job's health and he is cursed with boils from the sole of his feet to the crown of his head. And uh, Satan says, now Job will turn his back upon me. But what does the Bible say that Job did? The Bible tells us that after the first set of tragedies that Job sat down and worshipped God. After the second set of tragedies, we don't necessarily have an instance of him worshipping God initially, but the Bible tells us he sat down in the ashes. If you was here at Revival, you might have heard some good preaching upon that. Uh, and I do believe there is good scriptural foundation to suggest what Job was doing was worshiping the Lord when he sat down in the ash pile and scraped his boils that he was offering himself to God. But what does Job say in the midst of his adversity? Listen to what he says in Job chapter 13. Now remember what Satan said. All that a man hath will he give for his life. You threaten his life, he'll turn on you like a rabid dog. He'll curse you to your face, God. What did Job really do? In Job chapter 13, verse 14, listen to what Job says. Wherefore do I take my flesh in my teeth and put my life in mine hand? In other words, here's what Job says. And I'm going to read on. If you're, if you're there, you can already see where we're headed. But he says initially, you know, my life is not my life in the first place. It's not, I didn't give it, and it's not mine to take. It belongs to the Lord. And what right have I to take my life in my hands? I want you to listen carefully. There is a, there are two sides to the coin of that truth. Are you listening now? I don't know where we're going to wind up. Are you listening? It is true that it is wrong for us to take our own life. I believe it is a sin. I don't believe it sends a person to hell any more than any other sin would send a person to hell. I believe if a person is unsaved and they die, it don't matter if they uh, take their own life or, or if they die in a car wreck or die any other way. If they die without Christ, they die without grace and they die in sin and, and they die and go to hell. And I believe a person, if they're saved by the grace of God, uh, they didn't earn their salvation. They can't lose their salvation. Uh, and that includes taking their own life. If they took their own life, it wouldn't take their salvation away from them any more than any other sin would. But I do believe it's a sin for a person to take their life. I do believe it's wrong, but can I say there's another side of that coin? It's also sin to believe that we and we alone hold the power to maintain our lives. Can I tell you something? Listen, it's God's to take, but it's also God's to protect. And what Job's saying here is this, it'd be wrong for me to take my life, 
But it would be wrong for me to disobey the Lord in trying to protect my life. It's not my life, it's His life. Wherefore do I take my life in mine hand? And then He says this, I love this. He says, though He slay me, yet will I trust in Him. Boy, that threw a wrench in what the devil said, didn't it? I'm talking about that messed up his theology. The devil said, if you threaten a man's life, he'll give up anything. The devil said, Job said in reply to that, though the Lord should take my very life, I know I can still trust Him. Can I tell you something? At the end of the day, there's worse things than death. Ah, it's alright, I'll go ahead and say it. I appreciate the amens I got on that. But I'm going to go ahead and say it whether I get in or not. There are worse things than death. We're being told by people today that the worst thing that could happen is death. Prominent governor in the midst of all this said the worst thing that can happen to you is death. That's not true. It's not, it's not even true temporally speaking, by the way. There are people that wish for death. So it's not true temporally speaking, but especially as Bible believers, we ought to recognize that's not true. There are far worse things that can happen than death. And there are things we should fear worse than death. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have a basic, fundamental avoidance of death. Uh, let me tell you something. I just got through driving like five hours away from a hurricane. I get it, alright? I, I, I'm not saying that there shouldn't be like a basic uh, avoid. I'm not saying we have a death wish. But I am saying this to you. Listen, there are things worse than death. The devil said the worst thing that happened to a man is he dies. So if you threaten a man's life, you've got control of him. Christ already answered that. He died and rose again from the grave and gave us new life and eternal life. And He delivered us who were in bondage through fear of death. We don't have to live in fear of death. Job didn't live in fear of death. He said, I'm not going to take my own life. I'm not going to curse God to protect my own life. My life is God's. It belongs to Him. And though He slay me, though He destroy me, though He kill me, I will still trust in Him. He's trustworthy this morning. So there were some truths he concealed. And I'm just going to mention these. I'm not even really going to preach them. But I've got to tell you the whole truth. I can't, I can't give you the half truth and the hidden truth and then ask you to plug them together like Legos. I've got to give you the whole truth. That's what you paid for this morning. So let me give you the whole truth. There are some truths he confessed. And I agree with you. There are some truths that he concealed and they shed light on those truths he confessed. But because of the way he told what he told, there are some truths he corrupted. And I think we ought to straighten them out this morning. The first is he corrupted the truth about the master of Job's destiny. Satan claimed to have dominion over the world through temptation and over Job through trials. He said, if I can't tempt him to sin, I will bring tragedy upon him that will slay him. I will destroy him. I will bring him to heal. I will crush his spirit underneath me. But Job proved both claims to be wrong. Listen, Satan only had as much control over Job's heart as Job allowed. How do you know that, preacher? Because in a day when nobody was living for God, Job was living for God. So much so that all the things that God could have said back to the devil, all he had to do was point at Job and say, you ain't got everybody. Look at Job. He's still living for me. And Satan only had as much control over Job's circumstances, can I remind you, as God allowed. <laughs> You remember that every time that Satan wanted to do something to Job, he had to ask God's permission to do it. He couldn't just show up, destroy, and only those things. You remember that God looked at the devil and said, uh, you can destroy his health, you can touch his body, only spare his life. You don't think the devil would love to kill Job, get him out of the way? You don't think the devil would have loved? And by the way, that's what the devil would really like in your life if you're living for God. He'd really love to kill you. Uh, and, and that tells me this, whatever sorrow and tragedy enters our life, it has come through the mighty hands of God because if we had what Satan really wants, we'll say, well, Satan, the devil's after me. If the devil was after you without God checking him, he would kill you, he would destroy you. So whatever the devil's trying to do in your life, rest in the confidence at the end of the day. He may be the God of this world, but we serve the God of the universe, the God of all creation. And at the end of the day, Job wasn't in control of Job's destiny. But the devil wasn't in control of Job's destiny either. At the end of the day, God was forever and constantly and eternally in control of the situation. I, I see in this passage that he corrupted the truth about the master of Job's destiny. But number two, I see that he corrupted the truth about the measure of Job's dignity. 
Satan said that Job would only serve God when things were going well in his life. Was that true? For instance, Satan said that Job would curse God. But as the preacher said during revival, and I say amen to it, that by God's grace, Job didn't curse, Job blessed. He said, the Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Satan said that Job would compromise. He said, skin for skin, all that a man hath will he give for his life. What he was saying is, if I go after his life, he'll curse you to your face. He'll do anything that I ask him or anything that I tell him to do. He will compromise before he will perish. But what really happened? Satan said Job would compromise. But by God's grace, God said that Job held fast his integrity. He says, in Job 2.3, the Lord said, Unto Satan hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. And I love this, and still he holdeth fast his integrity. The devil said that Job would compromise, but Job didn't. And then the devil said that Job would crumble. He says, I'll kill him, I'll destroy him, I, I, I will annihilate him. But by God's grace, Job stood. You know what that tells me? We can stand. You listen to me? We can stand this morning. So he corrupted the truth about the measure of Job's integrity. And then finally, and I'm just going to mention this and be done. I don't know how many times I can say that, but you'll believe it. But, but you see, there's a kernel of truth to it, because sooner or later I will be, and that's why you believe it. I'm just illustrating this for you this morning. He corrupted the truth about the meaning of Job's adversity. Something interesting that God says that I don't think we really notice very often. In that reply in Job chapter 2 and verse 3, God says this, Still he holdeth fast his integrity. Although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. Now, if you don't read that carefully, that'll leave you with the impression that God was trying to destroy Job. But you'll notice there's a little comma in that phrase. He says, Although thou movest me against him, comma. In other words, God says, I'm moving against Job. Then he says, you, Satan, are trying to destroy him without cause. What was the purpose for what Job went through? Satan believed that the purpose of it, his intentions, were to destroy Job. That's what he was trying to do. That's what God said he was trying to do. I believe God's right. He says, you're trying to destroy him. You're trying to kill him. But you know, God said, you're trying to destroy him, Job. Or devil, I'll get it said here. Now, we got three people we're talking about this morning. Have some grace with me. God said to him, devil, you're trying to destroy him. But he said, I'm moving against him. I like that phrase. You know what it tells me? When the devil's on the move, God's on the move too. You're trying to move me against him. God said, I am moving. But I'm not moving to destroy him. God said, I'm moving to develop him. How did he develop? Well, we see that his, his worship was determined. The Bible says that when all this happened, Job fell down and he worshipped God. Let me tell you something. It's good to worship God when it's good. It's good to worship God when it's good. It's good just drive up and down the road, praise God, and cry and weep about His blessings and His goodness. It's good to come in the house of God and have a good, good word of praise, be able to lift about how God has provided for you. Can I say it's easy to worship God, then? It is. We feel it. It, it, it intrudes in upon our conscience. Again, we, we, we know we should be worshiping God. But to do what Job did, to sit down in that ash pile and worship God. I love what he says. He says, what? Shall we not receive good at the hand of the Lord? Or shall we receive good at the hand of the Lord and not evil? The Lord uh, giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be. But I like that word, what? I'm going to preach on it at some point. What? As in, what else would we do but worship God? What else would we do, Fred? What else would we do but worship God? He's answering his wife. His wife is saying, Does thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God, die. And he says, What? What else would we do but bless the Lord? He's the Lord. His worship was determined. Listen, your trials will grow you in a way that nothing else can. I see that his walk was deepened. I'm not going to take time to read it. But later on in the book of Job, he's talking about how he wishes he could find God. You remember? 
He says, I, I've been, I've been looking for the Lord. If I could get to His throne room, I'd make my petition before Him. I'd, I'd make my plea before Him. I, I, I would, I would ask Him. I would know the words uh, which He would answer me and understand what He would say unto me. He said, will He plead against me with His great power? No, but He would put strength in me. There the righteous might dispute with Him. So should I be delivered forever from my judge. He's asking the same questions you and I ask when we go through problems. Where's God at? Why can't I find Him? Why can't I understand what I'm going through? He says, Behold, I go forward, but He is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive Him. On the left hand where He doth work, but I cannot behold Him. He hideth Himself on the right hand that I cannot see Him. Job said, I'm struggling. I can't find God anywhere. Then he makes one of the most sublime statements in all of Scripture. He says, But He knoweth the way that I take. And when He hath tried, I shall come forth as God. Job said, I can't figure a thing out about this. But I know that He knows all about it. And I know I can trust Him. And I know that He's doing it for my good. I'd say that's your walk being deepened, wouldn't you? I'd say that's your spiritual life being strengthened. And then you can read it for yourself in Job 42. But I find when it's all said and done, Job's worldly possessions were doubled. The Bible says that God gave him, blessed him twofold, blessed him double. Listen, Job, it paid off to stand for God. At the end of it all, Job wound up better than he was before it all. This is the reason, listen, that the psalmist said, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I have kept thy word. And then he goes on to say, it is good for me that I have been afflicted. We don't ever feel that in the midst of it. I get it. I understand that. I don't either. But after it's all said and done, Job wound up a more blessed man than he was when it all began. And every bit of it began with the devil telling lies on him. Preacher, the devil's been telling lies on me. He's been tempting me. He's been sowing discord. He's been causing problems. I've been trying to take a stand, but he's fighting me. That's all normal. If you're trying to take a stand, that's normal. Every bit of it's normal. If you if you want it all to go away, go ahead and compromise. You'll regret it one day when you stand before God. Go ahead and compromise. It'll probably all go away. But if you're going to stand for God, you're going to, you're going to face some of that opposition. Can I tell you something? At the end of the day, the devil's only telling you half the truth. You don't have to give up. You don't have to compromise. You don't have to quit. You can stand for God. He'll give you strength. He'll develop you. God's in control of all this. You say, preacher, everything's out of control. No, everything's in His control. Uh, everything's not out of control. Everything's in His control. If we'd just pick up our Bible and read it, man, we'd be able to look on the TV and look out the window and see that things are happening exactly how God said that they were going to happen. I'm just telling you this morning, you can trust Him. And you can stand for Him. The devil will tell you there's no way you can stand in this wicked day. Look around! I've been going to and fro in the earth. I've been walking up and down in it. But I'm glad there was a man named Job to show me and you the way that even in a godless wicked, satanic, broken, hurting, burning world that we can still stand for God. We can still be perfect and upright. We can eschew evil. We can retain our integrity. We can trust the Lord. And we can take a stand for Him. Let's bow together this morning as a musician comes to play. The altar is open. And I, I just go ahead and invite you to come. If God spoke to your heart, uh, you don't have to wait for a note to be played. And if God spoke to your heart, that's enough. That, that, that's You know you ought to come if He spoke of your heart. You shouldn't need anything else. But I do want to pray for you and I want to pray for this invitation. Father, I pray that you bless this invitation. I pray that you glorify the Lord Jesus. And I pray we get down to real business with you. Lord, I love you. I ask it in Jesus' name.